This is ARRL's Eclectic Tech, a bi-weekly look at the technical and scientific side of amateur radio with your host Steve Ford, WB8IMY. Eclectic Tech is brought to you by ICOM. ICOM, for the love of ham radio, is about the passion for an incredible hobby. Visit ICOM in the community webpage at www.icomamerica.com forward slash community. Is that a familiar sound? I bet it is to some of you. Can you guess what it might be? If you're familiar with HF Digital Operating, I bet you guessed it already. Yes, it's PSK31. I get a little nostalgic when I consider PSK31. It's been more than 20 years since it burst onto the scene as the first so-called sound card-based digital mode. Unlike RTTY at that time, PSK31 didn't require an outboard modem. Instead, the software used the sound cards that were popping up in most computers to decode the received signals and create signals for transmission. All you needed was some means to have your computer switch your radio from transmit to receive, and a single transistor switch or an optocoupler did that pretty nicely. Hams have been experimenting with PSK on HF before the turn of the century, but it was the Windows program written by Peter Martinez, G3PLX, that really lit the fuse. I think I have a copy of that software somewhere, but of course it won't run on any modern versions of Windows. What really started the PSK31 revolution in earnest was the use of panoramic reception, where you could see many PSK31 signals at once on a waterfall display. The first program to offer that feature was DigiPan for Windows. That application's still around, believe it or not, and you can find it if you do a Google search for DigiPan, and I'll spell that D-I-G-I-P-A-N. In fact, DigiPan still runs on all versions of Windows. I used it recently for a Parks on the Air activation. Of course, it wasn't long before PSK31 was incorporated within multi-mode programs such as FL Digi, Ham Radio Deluxe, MixW, and several more. So is PSK31 long dead on the airwaves, though? Is it long-live PSK31 at this point? Well, that's the point of this discussion. I tuned down below the FT8 signals on 20 meters recently, and lo and behold, when I reached 14.070 MHz, I heard PSK31 signals. Not a bunch, but I was frankly astonished to hear any at all. I quickly started my FL Digi application, selected PSK31 as the operating mode, and saw about five of those familiar railroad track signatures streaming down the waterfall display, just like in the old days. One station was calling CQ, and I couldn't resist. I answered, and after swapping signal reports, we actually engaged in a conversation that lasted, I think, about 20 minutes. It brought all the old memories flooding back, particularly my memory of how robust PSK-31 could be under lousy signal conditions. There was some fading on his signal, but I was still printing most of what he was sending. Now, nothing against FT8. I make FT8 contacts every week. But sometimes you need to have a real conversation, keyboard to keyboard. Of course, I'm aware that the JS8 call mode works well as a conversational mode, but PSK31 is faster and more efficient when you're just tossing text back and forth. 
The fellow I was speaking with was having some issues with his new Raspberry Pi microcomputer, so we swapped paragraph-long chunks of text as he described the problem, and I offered whatever suggestions I could. As I did more PSK31 operating in the weeks that followed, I discovered that there was more activity than I had imagined. It turns out, for example, that the PODXS070 club of PSK31 enthusiasts is still very much alive. I remember that group being popular back in the day, and they're still active with PSK31 contests and other events. You'll find them on the web at www.podxs070.com. It's easy to fall into an operating rut and just do the same old, same old day in and day out. I get lazy and default to habits as often as anyone else. But part of the attraction of amateur radio is that there are so many different things to do. Sometimes, well, you just need to step out of your comfort zone. I'm on the telephone with Phil Salas, AD5X. And Phil is a prolific author. He's written quite a few articles for QST, QEX, and other magazines, uh, primarily on technical topics. And I got him here today to talk about, well, what is it, Phil? Vector network analyzers? Yeah, yeah. that uh, It's a very interesting subject nowadays, especially uh, because they're so inexpensive. Well, now, you, you but, reviewed the Nano VNA back in the May 2020 issue of QST? That's correct. That's correct, and you know, with the when you talk about a fifty-dollar VNA, now you're taking away uh, any hesitancy for for any ham to to purchase one of these. At the very least, you can use it as a network as an antenna analyzer, but they have so many more capabilities, and uh, it's it's kind of mind-boggling. Uh, the first time I were, I ever used a uh, a VNA was back in uh, 1972 at Texas Instruments after I got out of college. And uh, back then, it was a Hewlett-Packard. 8542 sounds like it might have been that. But it was a huge console. I couldn't even imagine what it cost. And it was the most magnificent thing I'd ever seen. (laughs) You had to to actually uh, load it uh, with software each time you used it with a long paper tape. It would read in this paper tape thing, and then it would have you run through the calibration. Uh, each time because it didn't have any memory, and uh, and nowadays for fifty dollars, there you have something that works, you know, almost as well as that, or probably better than that nowadays. Well, for listeners who may not be familiar, Phil, uh, could you explain what a VNA really is? A uh, vector network analyzer uh, is something that actually looks at uh, the the true impedance and transmission characteristics of a device. It looks at both the phase and amplitude, both of the reflected signal and the through signal and the reverse signal. And uh, so it, it lets you completely characterize uh, any type of a, of a reactive device. So that from, from that, you can actually, uh, you know, it'll actually show you on the screen the, the values. You can look at it in terms of, a, of a reactance or you can look at it in terms of actual component values for a given frequency. So you can see exactly what things look like. You can see exactly what the loss is of a filter network. And uh, and if you can characterize something, which you can very easily with these, then you can uh, uh, build matching devices that will let you exactly match your antenna or match your, your device, whatever you have. 
there, as a matter of fact, you don't have to be very, very smart to do any of this stuff or very experienced. Uh, there are online tools. Uh, there's something called a network designer tool that's free. Uh, you can put in the values that you actually measure with your VNA, and it'll actually do the calculations for you on the matching devices. Um, you know, the inductors and capacitors necessary. So anyway, it's uh, it's it's quite an, an incredible little instrument. You know, it's it's taken the step of the antenna analyzer a little bit further. Uh, a lot of antenna analyzers out there are actually VNAs, uh, but they're usually just uh, for reflection capabilities. We're looking at uh, the uh, reflection coefficient. But the VNA, like a nano VNA, actually will let you look at transmission as well as reflection information, which is really makes it a mind-bogglingly inexpensive device that, uh, that there's no reason not to own. What would be a good definition for characterize for those who, once again, may not be familiar? Uh, well, let's say, uh, oh, heck, some people are looking at like a 43-foot vertical, okay? What does this look like on 160 meters or 80 meters or any of the bands that you want? Uh, with, with a VNA, you can connect directly to the, to the base of the antenna, and you can see what the uh, the impedance of that antenna is. So you can actually look at the antenna from the standpoint of its reactance and uh, the resistance, and you can even determine ground loss and, and things like that. So you can determine exactly what the antenna impedance looks like. Once you know the antenna impedance, you can then match it and um, you know, significantly improve their performance, especially in some of the lower bands. Either by adjusting the antenna or building a matching network. Building a net matching network in, in most cases. Yeah, if the antenna is close to a quarter wave or something like that, then, of course, you can adjust the antenna. But uh, in most cases, especially if you have a short antenna, like a 43-footer is short for 80 and 160 meters, then you, you want to be able to build a matching network for it if you can. Same thing with mobile antennas, you know, because they're, they're short antennas normally for the bands that you use them on. You can characterize them exactly. You can see exactly what the uh, impedance is. And from that, you can calculate the matching network. And again, the uh, network design tools that you can find on the, on the Internet, all you have to do is put in the values that you measure with your VNA, and, and it will actually calculate the LCs necessary to match that for you. Now, looping back just for a second, you had mentioned that VNAs and antenna analyzers, which I think a lot of listeners are probably more familiar with, are to a certain extent similar devices. Can you go into that a little bit more? Well, the the uh, better antenna analyzers are also VNAs because they will let you look at the uh, sign of the reactants. So not only, you know, some of the very early antenna analyzers uh, which which were really great for for resonating your antennas and all that. They just looked at the impedance and the SWR. But nowadays, with a good vector network analyzer, uh, which a lot of the antenna analyzers are, you can actually see the sign of the reactants, uh, so that you can then determine exactly what the input impedance is. Now again, the difference between most antenna analyzers and a VNA. Uh, while the, the antenna analyzer can be a VNA, but only looking at reflection characteristics, something like a nano VNA, it's a, it's a two-port device. So not only can you look at reflection characteristics, like you know, measuring your antenna, but if you have a filter or any type of network, you can look at through the network 
as an example, if you want to measure the loss of, uh, of a matching transformer for an NFED half-wave antenna, you know, those are very popular. People are building these 49 to 1 transformers to try to match the high impedance of these things. Yes. Well, you can, you can take a, a, a pair of these uh, transformers back-to-back and, uh, and just um, use the, the VNA, since it's got transmission characteristics, and look in to one side and out the other with the two ports, measure the loss, cut the loss in half since there are two transformers and decide which and uh, determine what your transformer loss is. So you can do that with a VNA, with a two-port VNA. A single-port VNA, of course, you can just look at the input impedance of something. Uh, and then a lot of uh, antenna analyzers, the, the very inexpensive antenna analyzers, which incidentally are still more expensive than a nano VNA. But uh, the inexpensive antenna analyzers are not VNAs, uh, so you don't actually know the sign of the reactants. You'll, you'll actually get an impedance, uh, but you don't know whether it's inductive or capacitive, capacitive without doing some additional tests. I was reading over your review of the nano VNA, and I saw some of the screenshots. It looks like in some modes it actually displays, well, kind of a Smith chart. Yes, absolutely, uh, and which, which really gives you a, a good feel for what your device is doing over the frequency range of interest. So you can actually see how the, how the uh, impedance changes. That, you know, if you're trying to, to, uh, to build something, let's say, that covers the whole two-meter band or the whole um, uh, six-meter band, something like that, which tend to be, you know, a little bit wider than some of the other bands. So you can actually see how the impedance changes and design a matching network uh, to try to minimize the uh, SWR over the band of interest. But yes, all these, these things and, the, you know, the, the plots you can not only can see on the screen, but they have uh, continually evolved the PC software that's available so that you can you know, display them on your computer screen. Pretty amazing stuff, you know, for, especially for this, uh, for the cost of these devices. Oh, yeah, especially considering the cost. What about measuring coax loss? You know, some analyzers will do that. One that I own that's a few years old has that capability. Uh, the VNAs, will they do that as well? Yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, and there are several ways of doing it. Of course, you could, since, since the uh, VNAs, the two-port VNAs, uh, you can actually connect the coax in between the two ports to measure it. Or you could do it the same way you do it with your antenna analyzers, where you'll a, uh, either open or short one end of the coax, and then you look at the return loss on the VNA, and from that you can determine the, the actual loss of the coax. Reading your review, you noted the VNA required, in your opinion, calibration. Is this a routine thing? It's something it, it probably doesn't hurt to check periodically, but uh, I found that once I calibrated, it just seems to be that it stays that way for a long time unless you do some sort of a reset. But it's always good to calibrate. You know, certainly when you first get it, you want to calibrate it, and it wouldn't hurt to check it periodically. It, I mean, it takes seconds. As a matter of fact, I'm used to uh, more sophisticated VNAs. I have, a, as a man, matter of fact, on my bench, my favorite VNA is a uh, VNA UHF from Array Solutions. It's an outstanding device. Uh, when I calibrate that, it takes many minutes. The Nano VNA does it as soon as you touch the, the button. It you know it, it finishes the cal for each item. You know whether it's an open, short, or a load. It's it's amazing how fast it is. The reason you want to calibrate, especially at the higher frequencies, is that uh, you may have a uh, variations in adapters, as an example. 
the nano VNA comes with SMA connectors, and you may want to make measurements on a UHF-based connector system or an N-type or a, or a BNC-type uh, system. So it's always good to calibrate with those types of things. And I, I did that because it'll, it'll um, store several different cal modes. So I'll calibrate it for maybe different frequency ranges using different types of connectors so that I don't have to go back and do that again, you know, each time I go to measure something. Well, that makes sense. In your opinion, what is driving this trend, Phil, toward what seems to be very small VNAs and and inexpensive VNAs? It seems like this has been a trend over, what, the last five years? Yeah, something like that. Uh, It's just the cost of the components has just plummeted, and the processing power has increased significantly. You know, I don't know if you've seen it, but I also did a review on the uh, tiny spectrum analyzer. Yes. You know, there's another $50 device that uh, that lets you look at, you know, the spectrum. And it's uh, pretty amazing. Again, it's, it's just the cost of the, of the processing now that, that has just plummeted in all of these devices. And frankly, I'm, you know, it, it's, it's hard for me to, to understand why the something like a nano DNA hasn't pretty, pretty much taken over the antenna analyzer market because uh, it's so inexpensive and it does so much. Well, see, you led me right to my question, my next question. <laughs> if you were advising a ham who doesn't own either of these devices, and depending on his level of her level of technical expertise, which would you recommend to them, a VNA or a more traditional antenna analyzer? Well, frankly, I would start out with the VNA because, uh, and I would recommend the one with the four-inch display. I think it's the VNAF. Nano VNAF now, uh, because they are quite inexpensive. There's, they're, they may, I believe they're less than a hundred dollars now. After I, I purchased the Nano VNA, shortly thereafter they came out with the one with a 4.3 inch display, the Nano VNAF, and and I wound up buying that and selling my Nano VNA. I'm 72 years old, so my eyesight isn't, <laughs> isn't as good <laughs> as it used to be. But uh, the thing is, is that these VNAs will do everything and more that most antenna analyzers will do and uh, at a fraction of the cost. So I would, I would start out with uh, an nano VNA to begin with. What about a brand new ham, Phil? Could you recommend a nano VNA to them or do you think it's a wee bit too complex? I, I would recommend it to them to begin with because, again, you can start out by just doing things like using it as an antenna analyzer. You don't need to know anything about S parameters or... Uh, impedance or anything like that you can strictly use you can just have it display swr and uh, use it as an antenna analyzer and then as you learn more and more you have the opportunity to start using more of the features of the device i think i need to get my hands on one (laughs) yeah it's a lot of fun to play with (laughs) i agree well will the vna help me put my 43 foot vertical antenna on 160 meters uh absolutely you can measure the uh the reactance and uh, and the the impedance. Uh, mine measured uh, uh, let's see about ten minus J three minus J six hundred, and that's what I used to to build my matching network for it. Well, there you go. It's, oh. it's an amazing uh, little little device. Uh, you know, here we're talking about uh, purchasing a, a true vector network analyzer. Oh, and and incidentally, the Software upgrades are trivial on these things. Uh, there's a tremendous user group, and uh, there's constant software upgrades that are available. And I know on the Nano VNAF, you just copy the software to a memory stick and connect it to the 
to the device and just uh, read it in. You don't have to do anything real fancy to update the software. Well, that'd be ridiculously simple then. It is. It's very, very simple. Well, Phil, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for informing me and everybody else about VNAs. Thanks. It's been my pleasure. Tune in again for the next episode of Eclectic Tech, produced by ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio. Music is provided by Purple Planet at purpleplanet.com. If you have comments, email eclectic at arrl.org. This episode is copyright ARRL and all rights are reserved. I'm Sabrina Jackson, KC1JMW. See you next time.